Tuesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Great to be back. The sun is shining. Gorgeous day outside of the temperature, of course. And we, you've got us for the next couple of hours as we will keep you company. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts as well. Please rate and review. And right off the bat, before anything else, before we dive into last night's action in the NBA or talk about anything else on the show, we have to send a shout-out. And on a personal level, on a professional level, I will say I don't want to get caught starting to name names because I will ultimately forget somebody. But I will say, and Jonesy, I'll throw it over you as well because I'm sure there's something that you want to say, especially as the father of a daughter. I don't have a daughter, but certainly, you know, between mom and my wife and so many others, uh, and again, all the people that we work with, not only at the Fan 590, uh, but within the Raptors broadcast world as well. We work with so many talented women, uh, both on the mic and on camera and behind the scenes that, that are a huge part of everything that we do. And I know I've listed in the past in previous years, and I probably will at some point today, the multitude the great vast amount of people that I have worked with from the very beginning and I said I wasn't going to name names but I am going to name one right from the get-go right from the jump you know I just and I don't mean this to sound whatever brash or or arrogant or self-serving we just talked about my 25th anniversary a, a month or so ago from the jump one of the first people that I learned broadcasting from and learned the industry from was one of the Fan 590 originals as well in somebody like Barb DiGiulio. And, and, and even w- within the television circles, Jonesy, Norma Wick at Raptors TV back in the day. Like From the jump, I was working with women that helped guide my path and teach my way. Uh, so I have the utmost respect for the women that work in this industry and women in general that are out there um, doing incredible work in all ways shapes and forms and i know you've got a line in terms of just the the world running and and the world would not run without the work that the women do in fact we'd be in a hell of a lot worse place if not for so many women around the world and what they do both on a personal and professional level to um to keep things moving period i i I don't know if i can say it any better than that Uh, and i don't know if i can either and i don't know if there's much than I could add to that, aside from, um, you know, I, I need probably three hours, uh, our entire show, to go through a list of uh, all the women that have helped me in my life and, and the ones that I work with and uh, the ones that, you know, keep me on track. And uh, just, there's just, there's, you know, see different perspectives and points of view. And, I, I, you know, well said. I just don't know if I could how much more I can add to that. Um, and it's, it's important. And, and it's, you know, it's the same as um, anything in life. There are people that work hard uh, and sometimes don't get a lot of credit. And w- we, need, we need to recognize that. We need to, we need to understand that and make sure that people aren't taken for granted. And, you know, today's a, today's a good day to remind us all of that. Uh, and and as we move forward, that um, you know the, the work of these women is very, very it's extremely important. Well, 
again, happy International Women's Day uh, to all that are listening. And um, I think I can speak on both our, our behalves that, um, hey, on a single day, on a, on a daily basis, period, uh, I know I wouldn't be able to get through my day, again, personally and professionally, without women in my life and women doing great things. And again, I say that on a personal and a professional level because we work closely with a lot of women and certainly in our personal lives, the women that we have uh, carry a lot of load as well and and, and, and are, are the backbone of what we do because we wouldn't be able to have the careers uh, we've had um, without the women in our personal lives as well that have done so much. Uh, to, and that's kind of just uh, being a partner uh, and, and, and kind of pulling your, your own weight and pulling your other person's weight and, and doing it in a tandem together and whatnot. And hopefully that's the type of chemistry that you can talk about within the professional landscape as well. So happy International Women's Day. And how about this, Jonesy? Um, on International Women's Day, uh, this just happened to be a fluke that this was the day that landed for her in terms of when she was able to join us because we've been trying to track her down for a while. And I'd have her on every single day if we could. But uh, what a perfect day to have on. One of the best in the business, period, man or woman. Um, Doris Burke will join us on the show today. She's coming up in about 25 minutes' time or so. We will chat with Doris Burke and, and kind of just uh, jump around the NBA. A whole lot of things to get into with her, including the Los Angeles Lakers. They continue to be a daily topic. We can dive into them a little bit more in depth uh, in a second as they lose last night again. Another loss to the Lakers, or for the Lakers, excuse me, to the San Antonio Spurs. But I actually wanted to start, Jonesy, with the San Antonio side of things because last night with the win, Greg Popovich now ties Don Nelson for number one in wins in NBA history, and he has a chance now to go into number one against who? The Spurs next game tomorrow night against the Toronto Raptors. So now there's a little more juice to this Raptors game. Not that the Raptors, they don't just need to snap out of a skid and deal with the ravage of uh, uh, the, you know, the the, the influx of injuries. Now they got to try and not go in the history books and become the team that Pop set the record against. (laughs) If I'm not mistaken, Eric, did they not, did the Golden State Warriors not get the record for Don Nelson against the Raptors? I feel like they did. I feel, I feel like, like they, they did. did too. I remember Nelly kind of jumping around on the court with his guys in 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 uh, in front of us to the left of our bro. I I really feel like that's when it happened. I and I, if I I mean I'm I'm getting old and losing my memory, but I, was that not a game that Chris Bosh had like a a foul line straightaway jumper that almost went down? And 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 didn't and Golden State I I don't know it's all running together but we need we need uh, we need our crack research team to check that out I am almost certain that Don Nelson got the significant or well maybe another significant maybe tied the record or something I, I thought he broke the record against the Raptors on a on a Sunday afternoon I I could be wrong but you know we always talk about it you're doing your prep work and your research. And you find some obscure guy that has his career high against Toronto. Like, you know, you're doing the research. Like, Willie Green, who's now the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, career high 37 against Toronto. Like, when he was with Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Like, you find it always seems like it lands on Toronto Square where they're going to be some, in the history books in some way, shape, or form for somebody. So, 
um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we're, I'm going to have to dig into that one. And even if I can't find it today, I'll come armed with it uh, for tomorrow's show. But E, I just, I want to, before we go back to the Lakers, I just want to jump in because one of the, somebody hit me on Twitter about my MVP. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you off. Hold that thought. You talked long enough there that I was able to get my fingers moving on Google. Your memory is, your memory is like, 89 well actually no it's 100 percent correct because you 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 did give the caveat they either tied it or said it they tied the record or nelson did with a victory over the toronto raptors if i'm if i'm reading this right it was april 4th because I, I, i did a quick google search on on don nelson it brought me to an article from april 7th 2010 nelson becomes winningest coach and it was in a victory over uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves on April 7th, where he surpassed former Raptors coach Lenny Wilkins to move into the number one slot. That, of course, was back in 2010 that, uh, that Lenny was, was number one and Nelson moved past him. So I quickly searched the 2009-2010 schedule. And April 6th, Golden State lost to Washington. But April 4th, Golden State beat Toronto 113-112. So that was the game then that tied the record. They lost their next game. They won that next game against Minnesota. So, Jonesy, you're bang on. It was tied against Toronto, and it was then set the new record against um, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I'm just quickly looking here as well. Chris Bosh in that game. I don't know how – folks – I'm giving Jonesy all the love here. I barely, and I'm, I don't mean this like, I, I barely remember what I had for dinner on Sunday. I do remember what I had last night. I barely remember what I had for dinner on Sunday. The fact that you remember Chris Bosh having this kind of game from 12 years ago, Jonesy, I don't know how you do it. Maybe I need to eat more, uh, like, what is it, ginkgo biloba or something? i got to improve my memory. <laughs> Chris Bosh, 11 of 19 for 42 points and 13 rebounds, five steals and a block in a one-point loss for the Raptors as Toronto loses 113-112 to Golden State. And that loss dropped the record for the Raptors to 500, and Golden State was 23-53 and at that point, but got the yep. win for Nelly, and then two nights later, or two games later, set the record for Nelly. Well, I don't know how I'm you do it, Jonesy. I don't know well, how you and do I, it. What I, what I also remember, E, is Golden State came in shorthanded in that game. Like, I think they had some 10-day guys. Like, Yeah, I don't know. They, the yeah, people, they, played, they, played, they played nine guys, but Devin George played two seconds. So they basically played eight right. guys. Chris Hunter uh, played only four minutes and 40 seconds. Jonesy, you're, you're, you are Rain Man, man. I'm telling you, 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 you're, you're, you, got, a, you got a gift. Uh, maybe it's a curse <laughs> on the other side of the coin, but um, I have friends who always say this: you are going to die with useless information in your head. <laughs> but but uh, st- stuff like that. I, I remember, you know, we, here we are. Here we are coming up to the final four, and uh, every time I see PJ Carlissimo, we have a laugh about uh, 1989 when he took Seton Hall to the final four. And I sat in a bar beside some guy in Toronto that had bet uh, $100 on Seton Hall at 300 to 1 early in the year. 
to win the NCAA tournament. And so the guy <laughs> stood to win 30 grand. And I turned and I said, well, how much did you bet on Michigan? He said, none. I said, what? Like you didn't hedge, like bet half of what you would have won on Michigan to, so you don't win 30 grand. You win like 15, like, he goes, no, I didn't bet anything. And, of course, Seton Hall loses in overtime. And two days later, P.J. Carlissimo was in my gym in Toronto because I was coaching the Toronto High School All-Star team. P.J. Carlissimo walked into the gym to recruit Philip Dixon at Seton Hall. And mm-hmm. I almost fainted as a young coach watching this guy who was on TV coaching in the Final Four 48 hours before. And I'm like, we laugh about that all the time. But there you go, E. I'm, I'm just full of useless information that, that is, is good for stories. One day, I'm going to leave them all, and somebody will write, write a book. No, you've got to write the book. Don't, don't let somebody else make the money off it. Jonesy, write the book before, before you're gone so you can make the cash off it. And then just make sure you put me in the will. You know, I worked with you long enough. Say, hey, my, my partner, you know, he gets like half a percent or something. You know, just take care of me, Jonesy. Take care of me. <laughs> that, would, that would amount to maybe the sandwich that I could buy you when we work together, right? Yeah, well, it'll, it'll buy some ginkgo biloba pills. I don't even know if ginkgo... See, I'm so dumb, I don't even know if it's ginkgo biloba. Maybe it's omega-3s, maybe it's fish oils. I don't know what it is, but clearly I need to take something or do something because my brain is nowhere near what yours is for remembering details like this. I, I, the one thing I will say, though, is we've worked together for so long that the things that I do remember are your stories. Like, I can walk... I can walk away, folks, from conversations now, and Jonesy knows I'm not being rude. It's because I've heard the story like seven times because I've been around him so long. He's like, oh, yeah, here we go. I've heard this one, especially when you start talking about your dad, your late father, who I had the most respect for as well. But I've heard so many of those stories about the, the old, you know, the Spanish translation and the, and, and the Latin words and everything else. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to let somebody else listen in on this. i I got to go. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I'll go find Cla- my omega-3s. Classic old man stuff. Oh, man, he's sitting on the porch in the rocking chairs telling the same story from 1940. E, where I started with this was somebody hit me on Twitter about my MVP ballot. And I okay. said, yeah, it has, has changed. Because remember, it was a couple of weeks ago I came on and I was emphatically giving DeMar my number one vote. I can't do that anymore. No. Because Chicago is, they've slipped in the standings. They haven't beaten good teams. And DeMar is having a great year, but he doesn't get my number one vote anymore. And, you know, all the other guys, Chris Paul hasn't played, can't get that vote. It's, it's, to me, it's, a, it's probably a two-horse two race with an outsider in John Morant. But it's the two big guys. It's Embiid and Jokic right now. And I, 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 it is going to be a, a really, really difficult vote. It is going to be a really difficult vote. And to me, I, I would give Embiid my number one vote right now. In spite of Jokic putting up better numbers than he did last year when he won the MVP. Uh, but okay, Embiid's team let, is let, winning. Embiid's yeah, team well, is winning right now. Can I, can I present I, I, the... the uh, I don't know. It's not even devil's advocate because I, I, I hear you. Those to me would be the top two guys as well. And it's it, to me, it's very similar to rookie of the year right now. It's 2-1-1-2. Two, one, one, two. It's Mobley, Barnes. It's Jokic, uh, Embiid, Embiid, Jokic, Barnes, Mobley, right? Like, take your pick. Take your pick. And it might come down to who ultimately has the better record. That's at least what I've said 
for Rookie of the Year, I think a lot of people would probably agree that right now maybe Mobley's got a little bit of an edge. They're in a playoff spot. They are now going to have to play without Jared Allen. We're going to find out even more about Mobley with Allen down. But Jonesy, to me the Nuggets one is interesting because I would instantly look and say, all right, how do you break this down? Tell me if I'm wrong in this analysis here. Which guy is doing more with less? Well, up until the trade... You could argue that Embiid was doing as much as Jokic. Jokic doesn't have Murray and others, Porter included. Well, Embiid didn't have Ben Simmons. Embiid no longer and hasn't for a couple of years had Jimmy Butler. Embiid trying to go at it with a bunch of like Danny Green's, you know, like a, 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 like a, a, a part of things. But you don't have the same type of team that you once had, right? Right. But you go well. They're the second seed in the East. That means that Embiid's yep. had a better season. He's got a better team. Well, hold on a second. Denver has one less win. So they're the sixth seed, but they only have one less win than Philadelphia as a 40-win team. Then folks would say, well, hold on a second, though. But Philly's in a tougher conference. Well, are they? You got Phoenix. You got Memphis. You got Golden State. Golden State is one win off the heat total of 44. Golden State with 43. And that's after losing five in a row. So arguably speaking, record-wise, the three best teams, or at least three of the top four, are still in the West. A 39-win team is the sixth seed. And Jokic, I would argue, is doing more with less in what still might be the harder conference. Hence the reason... Yeah, he might get my vote right now for number one and ahead of Embiid because now you also have to factor in Embiid does have more help with James Harden. It's going to be a great vote. It's going to be a close vote. Um, and it, it, the, the NBA ex- wants this exactly. This is what they want in the fact that they have discussion about it. It's like the old days of the college football national championship with the voters deciding who wins. Not a game, <clears throat> not a game on the field, but the voters deciding who wins the championship because of a vote with no clear criteria or benchmarks for the voting. So this is exactly what the NBA wants. And here we are on talk radio, sports talk radio, discussing it, throwing it out. Uh, letting people have their argument. It's like a giant barbershop conversation, like a giant bar conversation. So um, the, the NBA is getting what they want. It's going to be a close vote. It's going to be a close vote. And, and here's the thing, though. <clears throat> it's tough to win back-to-back MVPs. It's, it's really tough. And I don't know. I still, I still look at, I still look at the fact that um, Embiid's team is probably doing a little better. Like it comes down to like splitting hairs. Well, then let's split the hairs, and and as you did, go into what kind of hair are we splitting, and how long is each hair that we're splitting? Uh, but right now, narrowly, Embiid gets my top vote. Let's see what happens coming down the stretch. We still got fifteen. 15, 16, 17 games left, depending on, uh, you know, what your team, where your team stands. Um, I wouldn't vote. I wouldn't vote till the last day if it was me. 
I I don't disagree with you because it could come down to that very thing. It could come down to the to the last day. And here here's another angle to take on this. Um, I don't know if it was Bob or who it is. One of our regular uh, the regulars that that tweets in. I think it was Bob uh, asking the other day, or, or 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 maybe not even asking, just making the point himself. When you look at right now, what's the conversation we just had the last five minutes? Two bigs in the game. Now they play different styles, but they still are. Not necessarily in the mold of oh we need a you know uh, uh, six nine and I'm not just talking from a Raptors perspective here six nine six ten athletic can block shots can shoot can bring it out on the you know on the arc and can shoot from mid range and the perimeter but also block shots and get on the glass and be a defensive like are we going to start to see teams Jonesy shift back towards we need at least one traditional big because how many teams right now are game planning for we need someone or do we have someone to stop, slow down, at least hinder a little bit Joel Embiid? Do we have someone to stop, slow down, hinder Jokic? Like, Toronto would be one of those teams that if there were in a series against Philly right now for all the talk about interchangeable parts and positionless basketball and everything else, uh, they'd be in tough trying to slow down either one of those guys in a seven-game series, and a whole lot of teams around the NBA would be saying the same thing. Well, and look, I'll say this. As a basketball uh, a basketball maybe purist or traditionalist, a good big always beats a good little, always. And, and I'll never forget, e, speaking of my ridiculous memory, having a major discussion with uh, somebody when we had the post-game show at Lord Stanley's Mug when it was then the, uh, the Air, Air Canada Centre. And hearing, hearing um, this person say, well, you know, you need... Because we were talking about Rafer Alston. Well, you need good guards. I'm like, hey, man, good guard play keeps you in games, and it can win you games. But in that era, you needed a good big man. And a good big man always beats a good little man. So what's the difference now in this era, the way the game has evolved? Your big men have little men skills. Kevin Durant at seven feet, shooting threes, pulling up. Um, can still post up like a big man. Nikola Jokic with his passing and his shooting from distance. That's what, that's what guards do. But this guy happens to be seven feet. And oh, by the way, and we saw it firsthand in the game against Toronto. He couldn't, he, he couldn't outrun you, Eric, from baseline to baseline Jokic. But at the end of the day, he's not shrinking. He can still rebound. He's still seven feet. And, and so, uh, to me, a good big always beats a good little. And the evolution of the game now is such that it's not how big you are, it's how big you play. And the good bigs now have the same skills as the good littles. So, you know, when people say, oh, yeah, we need one of those guys, get me the biggest skilled guy you can find. And then if you can't, then is there a little guy that has more skill and can do enough. Because we had that argument. I, I, I'll never forget that. I'm trying to educate the listener going, he's like, oh, you need a better guard. No, you don't. You can get Eric Smith to pass the ball to Joel Embiid. Like, you, you know, you don't. It'd be nice if he could make a shot, Eric Smith, but it's, it's, it's hey, not. Hey, 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 hey. It's, it's, it's not the necessity all the time if you have a good big man. Like, here's the thing that's going to happen at some point in the playoffs. When James Harden gets in foul trouble or something happens, 
Philadelphia is just going to give the ball to Embiid down low and go to town. We saw that happen when the Raptors played Denver. Toronto didn't have anything that was close to what you might say traditional at one end of the floor. And Embiid, uh, uh, um, Jokic, Jokic had a party. At the other end, Toronto made it tough for him because he didn't have the foot speed to go out there to cover a guy his size. So it's the yin and the yang, the give and the take of it all. Yeah. No, you're 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 right with that, Jonesy. You're right with that. Well, maybe that's a nice little segue transition back to the Lakers and the Spurs, as the Lakers are going at it and have been for some time now without one of the best big men in the game, uh, who is injured yet again, as he seems to be almost every year. Anthony Davis sideline. Uh, Dwight Howard, the veteran, doing his part last night, or at least trying to, four or five in 18 minutes, had nine points, six rebounds, but not enough, as uh, Jakob Pertl has had a solid year uh, for uh, San Antonio. 18 points, eight rebounds, four assists for the former Raptor. Again, San Antonio beating Los Angeles 117-110. LeBron James not playing sideline with what is now being called a significant knee injury. That's something to dive into and sniff around on a little bit more. But uh, without James in the lineup, without Anthony Davis, um, Russell Westbrook thrust into the spotlight a little bit more and I guess had an okay ball game. Uh, The numbers say he did, but the statistics, or at least the percentages, I should say, is maybe a better word, say he didn't. 5 of 14 from the floor, 0 of 2 from distance, only 7 of 13 at the line, did have the double-double, 17 points, 10 assists, with uh, 10 rebounds, excuse me, with six assists. But the bigger story with Russ Jonesy was after the game. A lot of chatter about comments that he made the other day about not taking home the losses and and letting it just sort of, uh, you know, brush off his back and and not getting weighed down by things. But the narrative and the, 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 the tone of the conversation was a little bit different or quite a lot different after last night's loss. Here is Russell Westbrook. It's really um, the the shaming of my name, the shaming of my character, the shaming of who I am as a person um, is, to me, is not warranted. Um, I haven't done anything to anybody. I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't done anything but play basketball a way that people may not like. Um, and this is just a game. This is just a game. This is not my entire life. Uh, um, and I think that is the, the ultimate thing that's been for me. And I don't like to harp on I kind of just kind of wondering out there, but once it starts to affect my, my family, my wife, um, even today, my mom says something about it today, and it affects them even going to games. Like my, I don't even want to bring my kids to the game because I don't want them to hear people calling their dad nicknames and out of their names for no reason because he's playing the game that he loves. And it, it's it's gotten so bad where... You know, my family don't even want to go to home games, to any game, because of, um, you know, uh, not just the media across the globe use their platforms to constantly shame, shame, shame me. Um, And, you know, it's just super unfortunate, man. I'm, you know, and it's super upsetting to me. And I'm, you know, I'm at a point, you know, to where I'm going to continue to address it. It's just uh, unfortunate. There's Russell Westbrook after the game last night. Um, I think we might have to either play a portion of that again later in the show um, 
or at the very least circle back to just the conversation because I don't know if we'll have time to dig into all of it right now, Jones. We, I know we have to take a break in, in a couple of minutes, um, but there's a lot to unfold there because I think this yeah. harkens back to even the conversation we had. I, I don't even remember if it was last week or two weeks ago where we started talking about mental health and, and today's day and age, uh, the coverage from social media, from media in general, and, and the spotlight that is, is on everyone, uh, professional athletes, actors, regular Joes, our children, uh, online bullying, cyber bullying. Like, I mean, all of this stuff, it gets all kind of thrown into one pot because the access to people, um, the access to a platform to have an opinion to try and call out someone or, or go after someone, again, whether it's a regular Joe or whether it's a superstar athlete or actor or celebrity or politician or otherwise, the access to um, these people is greater perhaps than it's ever been. And I think that it's uh, something that, Perhaps we as society, uh, and certainly within the sports world, maybe are not or were not prepared for to this extent. Agreed. Um, and and uh, it can be downright nasty. And, and the problem with it is, E, as you talked about, there's not only access to people, there's anonymity on the other side. And, and you know, you and I got to that point and... We've said it on the air, and I'll say it again. I, there are times when I get comments from people, uh, negative comments or uh, questionable comments. If your name's not on it, I'm not answering. If it, it, uh, Hey, my name's out there on social media, verified. It's not like there's a, I got a burner account or anything like that. Hey, man, I'm Paul Jones. This is what I have to say. And I think very carefully before I hit the send button but my stuff and i could i could use another word here uh, that my uh, my parents or anybody who knows me knows i'm not proud of but my my stuff is out there and it's mine and i own it and that's part of the access the problem with the access eric these anonymous faceless nameless people that have these handles on social media and aren't responsible for what they say. They just throw it at people. And you and I have said this, unless your name's on it, you might get one response and that's it. Then talk to me as a person. Tell me who you are and what you have to say. If we're gonna have a, an, a, a clear discussion about this as two grown people. So uh, that's, that's, that's a big part of the problem, E, the anonymity on, uh, on social media. Let's uh, let's dive into this a little bit more later on in the show because, I, I, as I said, I think there's there there are a few more uh, layers to the onion that we can peel back on this one and and, and dive into it because um, I don't know if we did it complete justice right there in terms of you know some of the stuff that that Russ mentioned, not even wanting his kids or his family to be at games anymore, even home games. So let's let's dive into that more, um, but we could do have to step aside because I want to make sure we're not late for our next guest. Uh, Doris Burke, the great Doris Burke, will join us next on Smith & Jones. Everything you need to know about all things Raptors. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
joining us on the line right now, and we're uh, thrilled to, to have her ESPN analyst and probably someone that needs no introduction, uh, one of the uh, most popular ones out there in any sport, Jonesy. Uh, we're pleased to bring on to the show Doris Burke. Doris, thanks for the time today. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Paul. Happy to be with you guys. Yeah, Eric, uh, popular and talented, too. And, and Doris, after the game on Sunday, uh, the Jones brothers do their usual debrief. And something that Mark and I were talking about, and, and you guys noted it on the broadcast, the NBA needs games like that. Stars playing, both Tatum and, and Durant, and just back and forth and excitement. That Sunday was good for the game, wasn't it? I agree because, uh, you know, look no further than Philadelphia where, you know, you, you thought uh, Philly at Miami might be a significant preview of something we might see in the postseason, and James Harden did not play. Uh, obviously, they cited the hamstring. But you're right, the Stars have got to play. I don't know if you saw the video footage this morning, but there's a young woman who showed up in Denver uh, with an M- you know, Steph Curry sign, and she's probably, I want to guess, six or seven years old and crying her eyes out that Steph Curry is not there, you know. Uh, so, huge. I mean, to, to watch Jason Tatum take his decision-making to another level, his playmaking to another level, make all the right reads, all the tough shots, and have he and Kevin Durant go back and forth. Just compelling, uh, fun. And, uh, you know, when you're, you guys know this, as an announcer, you just have to step out of the way of the broadcast and, and let the people watch two brilliant men doing their thing. You know, Doris, just as a quick aside to, to the story you just mentioned, I don't know if you saw I saw it actually very late last night just as I was getting set to go to bed. Raymond Ritter, who is an outstanding media relations director, PR guy for the Golden State Warriors, and, and folks listening, you might not know Ray. We all know Ray. But within the NBA, got has to be considered Doris. If he's not number one in the league, he's certainly top two or three in the entire league. And I saw that he sent out a tweet where he tracked down this woman, this family, and the young girl, and he has given the family tickets to the Golden State Warriors next game. So the, oh, the Warriors do. Yeah. yeah. How great. And anyone who knows Ray Ritter knows he is at the very top of the list in terms yeah. of uh, media relations PR directors. Just it goes above and beyond. I love that story, Eric. That makes me so happy. Yeah. yeah, so it's 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 great to see Ray Ray taking care of that family and and um, I don't know maybe to go back to that game on on Sunday, Doris. One of the other things I think that stood out for me is it wasn't that long ago that many people I don't know if you're included maybe not writing off the Celtics but certainly questioning where's Boston going and they look to be sort of just one of those middling teams in the middle and the way they've just kind of you know skyrocketed up the standings right now and the way they're playing I've got them Doris looking just as much the contender as anybody else in the east right now well you make an excellent point the one thing I would say is and I had them early quite often and they were hard to watch Uh, it just did not feel like anything was gelling I think a number of things happened. I think Dennis Schroeder is a, is a solid basketball player, but you could tell they weren't going to put him on the floor with Marcus Smart together. They didn't fit. And um, you also had a new coach, and you had Brad Stevens, who I think was doing his best to stay out of the way, uh, even though the, the roster was constructed the way sort of he wanted it to be constructed. Um, the one thing I said early is the idea that you would split up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was absolute absurdity to me. Here you have two elite two-way wings 
both of whom can post a mismatch, both of, both of whom can create their own shot off the dribble, and both of whom can take on a weighty assignment on the defensive end. So the idea that you would not try to figure it out was absurd to me. Uh, their defense has been absolutely elite. They have you know, tweaked things to make sure that Robert Williams is a shot-blocking, help-defending, menacing force um, has been on point. I think the major change offensively to me has been you know, Jason Tatum, quicker reads, better, better understanding of progressions, getting off the ball quicker to get it back quicker. Um, and now I think if you see Jalen Brown sort of re-emerge offensively, then they can be a real threat. I, I'd be curious to know what you guys think of this idea that somehow Ben Simmons is going to come in and rescue the Brooklyn Nets because, guys, I don't see it. The last time we saw Ben Simmons, he and I, I like watching the young man, and I think cross-positionally, defensively, he's as good as it gets. But we're expected to believe that the young man who was shattered from a confidence perspective can raise the level of the Brooklyn Nets. I'm curious your take because I've had a number of people I respect in basketball say, well, if they're healthy and they get Ben Simmons back, then they're going to be the biggest threat. And I'm thinking, how? The runway is so short. What do you both think of this idea? For me, Doris, I I agree. Um, I mean, we know it takes time to build chemistry. And more important, in building that chemistry, you've got to win for it to really click. And uh, we just talked about Boston. Look how long it took Ime Udoka, a new coach, with a, with a, a good roster. It took him two-thirds of a season to put it together. Like, I, I don't see how Brooklyn can put it together at a championship level. They might get through a round or so. But I, I don't see them going all the way. And I, I know that we trust those guys in Vegas, those, those, those number people in Vegas, because they're usually right around uh, a number or an idea with favorites. But I, I, I don't see that. And the other part of it, I'm, a, I'm, even, I'm still asking questions about Philadelphia. And they have Harden playing right now. They are integrating their two stars and working on it. So I, I just think the East is wide open. And as much as people are on Brooklyn, uh, uh, they, they might win a round or two. But I just think when it gets to the real crunch, uh, especially with Ben Simmons being the one real defensive-minded guy and the others aren't, I, I don't know how they do it, Doris. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And the Philadelphia question, question is, is fascinating to me because, you know, Tyrese Maxey has just taken such a – uh, an incredible jump, and you wondered how the young man would react to the presence of James Harden, and and would it, you know, would it elevate or would it force him into the background? You know, to give Doc credit, you know, sticking him in the corner, letting him play on the second side, using the speed and transition. Now instead of hanging around waiting to get the outlet pass and trying to create, I don't think he's a natural point guard. Now you can use his best attribute, which is his speed. Uh, but but there, too, you know, Joel Embiid was absolutely killing everybody before James's arrival. And how does that – what does it look like, that tandem, in the playoffs? I, I get it. The early run has been good. Um, but, but I'm curious. I'm curious in the playoffs how that looks. 
speaking with Doris Birkin, and I'm going to mention three things quickly. One, Doris, most importantly, is about to hop onto a flight. So, Doris, you tell us when you've got to go, and we'll just let you go. Because, uh, you know, obviously we know you can't be on the phone super long. So when you've got to drop out, you let us know. Two, um, you asked for both of our opinions. I'll just quickly say I'm not even sure what to think about Brooklyn because of the fact that not knowing when Ben's going to be available, and to Jonesy's point and yours as well, about not knowing if they have enough runway, you could almost make the case that he might be more of a distraction in some senses because you know, it's weighing over them. Are you going to be here? Are you not going to be here? When will he be able to play? When will he be up to speed? You could make a case that they might almost be better without him to some degree because, Doris, and this ties into my question then, I like the fact that Brooklyn was able to at least get a couple of other pieces in that move. And I wonder down the stretch, how much can a Drummond help you? How much can a Seth Curry help you? And the flip side of that is maybe we didn't, or at least I should say maybe I didn't give Philly enough credit for not giving up Maxi either in this deal or even going back to last year, the rumblings about Kyle Lowry, uh, Thibel as well. The fact that Daryl Morey was able to keep a lot of those young pieces, he still gave up a lot, but kept the biggest chips of all, and that helps the present and the future along with Embiid and Harden. You make a great point about Seth Curry because he and Patty Mills, who I think is physically and mentally exhausted because he's played the most minutes uh, in his career at this point in a and had far greater responsibility for the Nets than he's ever had in his career. So is he, can he get refreshed? Can they rest him a little bit in a situation where you're trying to win every possible game out here, Brooklyn? But the reason they're so important, Seth and Patty Mills, is because of the absence of Joe Harris, one of the you know, most accurate three-point shooters over the last five or six years in the league. Uh, catch and shoot, you know, just an absolute killer uh, you know, four spacer around Kevin and, and Kyrie. So I think, you know, Seth Curry is, is monster. Um, that's huge. Um, and the Ben Simmons thing, you know, to me, and listen, I don't know whether you're buying the back situation, not buying the back situation. Um, you know, there's talk that he's going to be there this week in Philadelphia with his teammates. That's going to be fascinating television to watch. Um, you know, maybe if you're Brooklyn, you're thinking our window is larger than just this season because you do have Kevin and hopefully the Kyrie situation works out. But I wouldn't want to depend on it. And as it goes to, to Philly, how about this? I mean, for, for Daryl Morey to hold strong on an elite defensive player in Bible, we were never prior to this season thinking that Tyrese Maxey was basically untouchable in Philadelphia. I don't know if untouchable is the right word. But certainly you want no part of giving up this young man who is fearless, who has shot creation abilities, who fits so well both, you know, between the lines and temperament-wise with Joel and Embiid, obviously the foundation of your franchise. I agree. You, you're going to give up players to, to get James Harden, but the fact is you're right. Daryl Moore did an incredible job holding key pieces around him. Maxie and Thibel at the top of that list. Hey, Doris, you mentioned it, and I'm looking forward to it on Thursday. Brooklyn goes back to Philly, and Ben Simmons says he's going, and he's going to sit on the bench. Why in the world would he subject himself to that? Like, when you're on the court, at least you're distracted by your, your duties on the floor, and the focus is winning the game. Can you imagine the catcalls and derisive comments that are going to come from the Philadelphia crowd, and he's going to just sit on the bench? I, I honestly, with his mental health yeah. issues, I can't believe he's going to do that. I really can't. I don't. 
Yeah, and I don't understand the decision. And I, and but but to me, it's it's just the pressure is amping up. The best thing Ben Simmons could have done was to get back between the lines as soon as possible. Once he once they made the decision, and it was clear Philadelphia was not going to trade him until they got the requisite asset they were looking for. To me. If I were advising that young man, and it didn't sound like he was listening to the advice he was getting out of his representation, I would have gotten between the lines. The sooner you cross that threshold and the longer the runway you have to absorb all of this, the better. You know, you you have to, in the NBA, to me, embrace the hate, right? The great Kobe Bryant said, Embrace the hate. You've earned it. Everybody should have an opinion about you, you know, good or bad. It means you're doing something. And, you know, it's like the one thing I think people fail to recognize about NBA players, me me included, right, because you see these men able to do what we consider to be like superhuman, extraordinary professionals at what they do. They are no different than you and I in that we all suffer crises of confidence. Sometimes I step off the air and I just think, that was an awful broadcast. <laughs> and you just go, like, we're all capable of having our <laughs> confidence shaken. Look at Russell Westbrook speak last night post-game about the toll the things being said about him are taking on his family. And the longer it goes on, the, the heavier it gets. And to me, it's no different than Ben Simmons. I just wish the young man would get between the lines and get started so he can start to overcome some of this. Speaking with Doris Burke. Doris, um, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least ask you about your thoughts on the Toronto Raptors as well. Uh, You know, kind of similar to what I was saying a, a short time ago about looking back just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, perhaps with the Celtics. Well, it was just a couple of weeks ago. The Raptors were winning eight in a row and trying to climb up the standings. Now the injury bug hits, Van Vliet's been out. Uh, the team's, you know, hasn't been great since the All-Star break and uh, not sliding yet because Brooklyn hasn't started winning and, and Charlotte and, and, and Atlanta have kind of been scuffling, but the Raptors failing to capitalize on a chance perhaps to jump into the top six that lost the other night to Cleveland wasn't great for them. Where do you see them right now, Doris, in terms of um, – are they a team that could make a scare or, or put a scare into another club in the first round if they get in there? Like, What's your assessment of Nick Nurse and what the Raptors have done this season? Uh, you just said the, the, the combination of words. Here's, and I go back to something Kendrick Perkins was saying when Toronto was playing well and winning and had you know everybody at their disposal. Is, You're sleeping on the Toronto Raptors. Look at their place in the standings. But to me... When you have an organization that has at the top of the list exceptional culture established um, with Masai Ujiri and and Nick Nurse, that is a great foundation because what do you know you're going to get whoever is between the lines. There's a level of expectation to how the Raptors are going to play. They're going to play incredibly hard. They're going to be incredibly well coached. They're going to have an incredible scout. And, And so... Those are the teams you, you want to avoid if, in fact, you can get your requisite bodies back. The thing I'd be most excited about if I'm you guys, though, is Scotty Barnes. I mean, he's going to be a first-team all-rookie. His ceiling is still inc- absolutely incredible. But to me, the Toronto Raptors mirror every other organization in the league this year. I don't know about you guys. This has felt. I thought last year's pandemic weighed heavy on the NBA. 
both in terms of the amount of games and the number of games and the inevitable this guy's in, this guy's out. I would just say that this year across the board in the NBA feels very similar. Boston ravaged at times by COVID. Um, name, name an organization at some point, they've all been ravaged, in particular when the Omicron was spiking as it was. So we are not, this NBA season, had we had not come completely out the other side of this. So I don't have to tell people in Toronto or fans in Toronto about that, guys. Doris, um, I know we're running, we're running out of time here. Um, yeah, this will probably be my of... last question, Paul. <laughs> All right, there's, a, there's been a lot of uh, chatter and it's got traction because, because your boyfriend Drake has mentioned it too, the <laughs> WNBA. I mean, it's, it's International Women's Day, Doris. And we are, again, it, to all the great women out there and all the great things they do, this world doesn't function without them. But in the toy department of sports, we have the WNBA, and it's getting some traction here in Toronto. You've, you've called it. I mean, you were a star player at, uh, at, at PC. Um, uh, you know, your thoughts on it expanding internationally to Canada the same way uh, you know, the NBA did. Because I got to tell you, Doris, Eric and I can tell you, it would fly up here. It would soar up here. There, there are, it's the same kind of thing as the Raptors, just with a little bit of latency in, in years behind. Your thoughts on expansion in the WNBA, particularly to Toronto? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, as you guys, I've always told you guys, I, I have always loved coming to Canada because of the passion. You could walk down the street in the city of Toronto and, you know, if they recognize you, there's going to be a basketball conversation. So I've always loved the passion and the kindness, too. And uh, so I would love to see expansion. I think you've seen a place where the WNBA is ready for expansion. There are quality players not making rosters. Nothing would make me happier. And I, I have to go because I'm now getting a dirty look. <laughs> it was great to visit with you, Eric and Paul. Be well. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Doris. Bye. Thanks very much. Okay, DV. There's... Doris Burke and now she's gonna she's like the most loved woman out there and now she's gonna have at least one flight attendant that woman that that blonde lady on her phone she's gonna be complaining to her partner or her bosses or co-workers later on today so hopefully we didn't sully Doris Burke's name there Jonesy by keeping her on the phone too long but uh, certainly great to have her on I mean listen I'd I'd have her on every single day uh, have her as a regular on the show but even uh, especially on today on International Women's Day uh, what a great time to have her yeah, um, she's she's terrific at what she does, um, and you know another example of somebody just just give a chance, give an opportunity, and if the person's ready and and done their work and and ready to embrace the challenge, uh, good to go. And, and Doris is a prime example of that, and she's she is she's terrific. Um, certainly great to talk to Doris Burke. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review, download and share as well. Back with more in a moment.